In the early 50s of the first century, and we're talking about within 20 years of Jesus' death and resurrection, the fledgling church that he established was fighting for its very existence. And no, I'm not talking about persecution from the outside. And there was some of that going on here and there. And there's going to be some really significant ones uh, a decade later in Rome. But no, this existential threat to the church in the 50s did not come from outside persecution. No, it came from within. The threat was a group of Christian church leaders. And uh, they were players. They had power, they had connections, and they were taking actions to change the beliefs, the content, and the practices of the gospel. And had they succeeded, most of you would never have heard of Christianity, and we would not be worshiping Jesus here in Madison, Wisconsin today. Have you heard the story before? We don't talk about it very much because, well, two reasons. One is because as we as Christ followers, we like to idealize the early church. Like, like Americans, we, we idealize our, our founding fathers. We don't want to air the dirty laundry of the people who founded the church. So as we get into the story, some of you, you're going to go, wow, the early church was just as messed up as we are, right? Full of broken people, weak, wrongheaded about all kinds of things. The second reason why we don't talk about the story very much is because, well, frankly, you have heard of Christianity. We are worshiping Jesus here in Madison, Wisconsin. So that's all the past, right? That's, that's, that's ancient history, literally. It's over. And so as a result, this story, well, most Christ followers don't know it, and they just kind of ignore it. That's a mistake. That's a mistake. We need to know the story. We need to know the story of this mortal threat to the church and the struggle to preserve the true gospel because during these critical years, something happened to crystallize for us what we believe about the cross, about Jesus, about the church, about what it looks like to follow him. The struggle clarified what things belong in the gospel and what things, if you include them, would destroy the gospel. So we need to know the story because we have a lot to learn from it. I hope you're intrigued because I want all of us Blackhawkers, the whole community, to get to know the story and to enter into the story, we're going to read a document together, a document written during the height of this controversy. The name of the document is Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, commonly known as Galatians. Before I keep going, let me introduce myself. My name's Charles. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. And we are starting a new sermon series called Galatians, the letter that saved the church. We're going to spend nine weeks on this letter, and it is a fascinating letter. So much to learn, so much to talk about. In fact, there's no way we can do it justice with just 35 minutes for, on nine Sundays. So we're going to try something a little different. Ooh. I am going to do a webinar on Mondays, okay? Monday nights, this whole series, and, and we're going to talk about Galatians. And um, we're going to tackle issues, we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to answer questions that we can't get to on Sunday mornings. Galatians is my favorite book from Paul. I love it. It is fantastic. I'm so excited about it. I want to invite all of you to join in. So go to our website and register, and then come on Monday nights, and we can talk Galatians. 
Now, for, for the Sunday mornings, uh, next week, starting next week, we're going to get into Galatians section by section. Uh, but so today, it's really more about kind of, the, kind of the background, right? What was going on in those first early decades of the church? And really, what was the problem that threatened the, the, the future of the kingdom of God? Well, to put it simply, the problem had everything to do with ethnic tension and ethnic hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Now, this is very important for us to remember that the church in the first century was very different from churches today, right? So one of the biggest differences, almost everybody in the early church was a Jew. The church was predominantly Jewish. Now, I know I just said something confusing. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I thought Judaism was a religion, right? If you, when you become a Christian, you stop being Jewish, right? Well, good question, with a, not a simple answer. You see, today, in, in our day and age, a Jewishness is notoriously difficult to define. Some people say it's a religion. Other people say it's an ethnicity. Other say, people say it's both. Well, certainly you have a lot of people who call themselves Jews who do not practice Judaism and do not believe in Judaism. It is complicated today. However, in the first century, it's not as complicated. Being a Jew in the first century means to be, means to be a member of an ethnic group that has had its belief about God thoroughly interwoven into every aspect of its culture. So, for example, Jesus was Jewish. He was ethnically Jewish. What did that mean? Well, there is a genetic component. Right? Jesus was born Jewish into a Jewish family, and his family can trace their origin all the way back to David, all the way back to Abraham. And so, yeah, there were a few converts into Judaism in the first century, but really, most Jews saw themselves as physical descendants of Abraham. There was a geographical component to this, right? Even though Jews were scattered all over the ancient world, I think most of them thought, yeah, the proper homeland for the Jewish people was Palestine. That's where we should be. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Galilee. Of course, there were all kinds of cultural and traditional practices. So Jesus was circumcised. He ate kosher. He kept the Sabbath. He studied the Torah, which is the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. He went to Jerusalem for major festivals. I mean, these are things that Jewish people did, people of Jewish ethnicity. There was also a political uh, dimension. When Jesus came out, came out on the scene in, in as, a as a public figure, people said, hey, he's the Messiah. He is going to be the king to restore the kingdom of Israel and drive out the Roman Empire. There is a political dimension to being Jewish in the first century. And of course, finally, their belief about God interwove with everything. Jewish people in the first century believed that, hey, they, they are chosen by the creator God of the universe, the one true God who said, okay, Abraham, you're kids, okay? Abraham's descendants, you have a special role to play in this world. So Jesus was ethnically Jewish, and so were the 12 disciples. In fact, so were really every Christ follower early on in that church in Jerusalem. Remember in Pentecost, when Peter you know, gave that sermon, 3,000 people became Christ followers. I mean, we're talking about the first megachurch. And these people were from all over the ancient world, but they were all Jewish, which meant they followed Jesus and they went to the temple to worship. 
They circumcised their kids. They ate kosher. They kept the Sabbath. They followed the Torah the best they could. Right? For them, following Jesus didn't mean somehow you have to leave Judaism. Not at all. No, 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 no. They, they said, no, no, no. We are both Christ followers and we're ethnically Jewish. Okay. So what about Gentiles? Well, in the first century Jewish mindset, the world is divided into two types of people. There were the Jews, and then there were the Gentiles, the everybody else. In Hebrew, um, it's goim. They call them goim. And in Greek, they call them ethne, from which we get the word ethnicity. These two words simply mean peoples or nations or ethnic groups. So the, the, the concept is pretty simple. There is the Jewish ethnic group, and then there's everybody else. And they're called the Gentiles. All right? So what about this hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles? Well, what it comes down to is the Jewish people simply had, hadn't had very good luck with Gentiles. Right, you begin with the Egyptians. The Egyptians enslaved the Jewish people and tried to wipe them out. And then the Babylonians came. They came and destroyed their country, squashed Jerusalem, burned down the temple, grabbed a whole bunch of them and exiled them to Babylon. Now, even after a group of them managed to make their way back to Palestine, the Greeks showed up. And, and they persecuted them. They tried to wipe out their culture. They, they mass murdered Jews for keeping the Sabbath and circumcising, and circumcising their children. Right? Remember, this was like less than 100 years before the time of Jesus. And when we get to the first century, what's the Romans? The Romans are there in Palestine, in Judea, in Jerusalem. And they're just doing things that provoke the Jews. They were worshiping the emperor. They're doing pagan a sacrifice. They're just, you know, practicing sexual promiscuity. And the Jewish people is like, ah, oh, this is such a desecration. This is just, ugh. So you see, there's, a, there's just a long history there. Long history. All right. And, and so, so here you have this problem, okay? This is the problem. God started the church with an all-Jewish congregation. They're all one ethnicity, right? And God said, hey, I want to bring Gentiles in. I want to bring people out there into this group. So what do you think is going to happen? Ethnic tension ethnic hostility. And if you think about it, it really shouldn't be that surprising, right? right? This, this is tribalism. This is human brokenness, right? The, the, the problem with our world is not there's not enough love. No, the problem with our world is that we love the wrong people. First rule of tribalism. We form tribes and we hate on other tribes. We form tribes and we hate on other tribes. The, the, the Chinese versus the Japanese, the Turks versus the Armenians. It's Republicans versus the Democrats. It's SEC versus every other football conference. Right? If, you, if you start thinking high school, it's like nerds versus the jocks or, or even orchestra versus band. We form tribes and we hate on other tribes. This is core to who we are. Now, now I, I don't want to gloss over this. I, I don't want you to, to nod your head and go, oh, yeah, yes, yes, we all humans are all tribal. No, 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 no. Okay, stop right here, okay? I want you to actually think. What tribes do you identify with? And then more importantly, what tribes do you hate on? Okay? 
in your head, name them right now. In your head, name them right now. And don't play that game, go, oh, I don't hate anybody. No, 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 you know what I'm getting at. There are people out there that you go, eh, that you go, I don't want to have anything to do with them, that you disdain them. They're there, okay? Bring them to mind. Are they people of a different national group? Are they people of different racial, ethnic group? Political tribes, anyone? <laughs> How about sports tribes? Fans of Tom Brady, anyone? Or how about the musical tribes? Yeah, yeah, people with bad taste in music, right? I get a lot of flack because people know that I like Taylor Swift. But what I don't mention very often is that I regularly listen to Barry Manilow. I think I heard groaning from the back of the room right there. Um, one day I, I mentioned this in the teaching room, in the, in the teaching team meeting, and Pastor Chris just muttered, what is wrong with you? I mean, it just kind of came out of him. He couldn't help himself, okay? This, this is us. We form tribes, and we hate on other tribes. You do it, I do it, we all do it. First rule of tribalism. So here's the thing. If God wants to change this world, I mean, really change this world, then he absolutely has to take on this most human of human traits. He has to hit it head on. So is it surprising to us that ethnic hostility, that tribalism was the first major challenge to this new church, this new community, to this new people of God? Now, you should know, <laughs> this, this all-Jewish church, they didn't know what's coming. They didn't have an inkling, okay? They didn't have a clue. The first time they had an inkling that God actually wanted to bring Gentiles into their community, into their family, it was through Peter. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 10, chapter 11, okay? So Peter was like praying, and then he had a vision that God wanted him to go to a Gentile's house, a guy named Cornelius, and go preach the gospel to him. And Peter's like really skeptical. But the, 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 the vision was really clear, so he went. He got there, met Cornelius, great guy, started preaching the gospel, and while he was doing this, the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and his household. Now, what does that mean? Well, we'll talk about more about the Holy Spirit later in the series. Um, but for today, it, we just need to know that whatever happened in that room was enough to absolutely convince Peter, okay? It was unmistakable to Peter that God had decided to bring the Gentiles into the kingdom, into the people of God. So Peter did the only thing he could. He baptized them. The news got out. Okay, Gentiles baptized. What do you think, how do you think the church reacted? Celebration, yeah, all right, people got saved, people got baptized, so exciting. Not even close. <laughs> no, the reaction was, Gentiles, part of the church? Are you kidding me? That's the reaction that Peter got. Check out Acts chapter 11. Verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? 
I just want you to look at this verse right here. Look at the accusation. It wasn't, hey, Peter, you know, you really shouldn't have preached the gospel to them. Or it wasn't, oh, you shouldn't have baptized them. No, 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 no. Peter, here's what you did wrong. You went to their house, and horror of horror, you ate with them. What is wrong with you, Peter? Come on, Peter. You are a pious Jew. You are a follower of Jesus. You are a leader of our church. How can you do this? You know better than this. Are you getting like Romeo and Juliet vibes? Or maybe even like Cobra Kai, right? Peter was crossing ethnic boundaries. He was crossing tribal boundaries. He was doing something that shouldn't be done. He went to the wrong house and ate with the wrong people. And what happened next became a pivotal turning point in the history of the church because Peter started telling his story. Like, hey, I got this vision from God and then I went there and the Holy Spirit came and all this stuff and he had enough clout or I think God gave him enough clout to convince everybody that yes, God indeed wanted Gentiles in the church. Great. All settled, right? Not even close. Now, put yourself into the shoes of these first century Jewish Christians. Right? You're in the church now. You are a Jewish Christian. The church, there's only this church, and everybody in there is of one ethnicity. And all of a sudden, hey, it is clear God wants to bring Gentiles in. He wants to bring those people, those people out there, them, the ones that we're like, they're going to bring them in. Okay. What do we do? Second rule of tribalism. You want to be one of us? You act like one of us. Am I right? right? That, that has been the response of every tribe in human history ever, right? You want to be one of us? You act like one of us. You guys remember, right? Do you remember like, hey, I don't know how old you are right now. Some memory of going to a new place, trying to join a group, trying to join some people in new school or work or maybe in a club or on a team or maybe trying to marry into a family, right? What do you do? Well, first thing you do is you figure out the culture. And then second, change how you dress, change how you eat, change how you vote, change how you talk, change your favorite team, change your hair color. I know, get a new tattoo or maybe like hide the tattoo, whatever, right? Change so that you belong. Change so you can blend in. We all know this. You want to be one of us, you act like one of us. And this principle of tribalism worked its way into the teaching of the early church. Some church leaders began to teach this. First, Jesus restored God's promise to Abraham and his children. You see, in the Old Testament, God made a promise to Abraham and his descendants saying, hey, I'm going to bless the world through you guys. So who are Abraham's descendants? Well, they're the Jews. But because Jesus restored this promise, it's really going to be the Jewish people who believe in Jesus. In other words, the Jewish Christians. Okay? So what about the Gentiles? Well, for Gentiles to become children of Abraham, they need to adopt Jewish ethnic practices, right? You want to be one of us? You got to act like one of us. So for the Gentiles, they need to get circumcised. They need to change how they eat. They need to, to, to keep Sabbath. 
These three things were the defining traits of of Jewish people in the first century. People who did these three things, oh, they're Jews. That's how they separated themselves from the rest of the world. Now, so what about Gentiles who are in the church who don't want to become Jewish? Well, you make it clear to them that they're second-class citizens in the kingdom, or maybe they're not in the kingdom at all. So this view was associated with the leader associated with, with James. This guy right here. Right? He, his view is Gentile must become Jews. And uh, this guy is most associated with this view. Now, this James is not the James and John in the Gospels. He, he is not one of the 12 disciples. He's actually the brother of Jesus. He, is, he was the author of the book of James in the New Testament. He was a big deal. But there were also leaders in the church who disagreed with this. They pushed back. And they they taught that Gentiles can stay as Gentiles. And so the leaders in in that group, well, there was Peter and there's Barnabas. But the person most associated with this view, of course, is Paul. So we have leaders who disagreed with each other. But this wasn't really wasn't just a kind of a struggle among Christian leaders. No, 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 no. This was also geographical and institutional. So you see, the church began here in Jerusalem. Right? Peter gave that talk, 3,000 people. This, this is the mother church. This was the starting point of Christianity, the starting point of the faith. And, and you have all these people gathered here. But by the time you get to the late 40s and early 50s, Peter wasn't running the show in Jerusalem anymore. It was James the brother of Jesus. He was the head of the Jerusalem church. And so Jerusalem church became kind of a hubbub, kind of the power center for the Gentiles must become Jews group. The second church that gained prominence in church history was the church in Antioch. And that church, a lot of Gentiles jumped in. A lot of Gentiles and Jews were mixing together. And and, and this became kind of the hotbed of Gentiles stay as Gentiles church. And not surprisingly, Well, Paul and Barnabas were leaders of this church. Now, you can imagine the relationship between these two churches, right? A little bit of tension, a little bit of rivalry, all kinds of interesting things happening between these churches. And Pastor Chris will get to some of them uh, next week because it's it's, it's part of the story. But what you need to know is this. James as the head of the Jerusalem church, as the head of the main mother church, the headquarters, if you will, at some point began to put pressure on other church leaders and other churches to force them to require Gentile circumcision, to force them to require require that Gentile must become Jews in order to follow Jesus. And as that was happening, that brings us to the story of Galatians. Paul traveled westward to plant churches, and as he was traveling through the region of Galatia, somewhere in the early 50s, he got sick. And he was in a region, and there's no Jewish people there. They're all Gentiles. And some people in that place took him in, and they took care of him. And he got to know the people, the village, all these people there in Galatia, and he loved them, and they loved him, and they were just, just one community. They were tight. They were friends. It was awesome. And, and, and Paul was like, I can't believe this is such a great place. I'm going to preach the gospel to you guys. And he did. And they became Christ followers. 
And so the churches in Galatia were born. After Paul got better, he's like, well, I want to plant more churches, and, the, and you guys are doing great, so I'm going to leave. So Paul left. Not long after leaving, people from the Jerusalem church, most likely Jewish Christians sent by James, they traveled to Galatia. Are you picking up the vibe here? Right? So these are people. These are people from the mother church. These are people from the headquarters. They're people from James, the brother of Jesus. And they come to these Gentile Christians out here and they say, hey guys, listen up. Uh, you're Gentiles. You, you need to get circumcised. You need to change how you eat. You need to, 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 to keep the Sabbath. You need to follow the rest of the Torah because to be one of us, you got to act like one of us. You, to be the descendants of Abraham, you need to do this. You need to become Jewish to follow Jesus. And the people there are like, well, what about Paul? Right? He didn't say anything about this. And they're like, well, we didn't want to have to tell you about Paul, but Paul's a bit of a people pleaser. Because he knew, he knew, Paul knew that you wouldn't like this idea of circumcision. I mean, adult circumcision. No, nobody really likes the idea, okay? We all, we all know that. So he knew that, so he didn't tell you guys that. He just wanted to, you know, make it easy for you. He wasn't giving, giving you the full gospel. And so he was actually kind of threatening your salvation a little bit. All right? So, uh, oh, by the way, who's Paul? I mean, think about it. Right? We're, we're from Jerusalem. We're, we're, we're from James. Paul, Paul is not one of the 12 disciples. He doesn't know Jesus. He, he's like a nobody. He just came out of nowhere. So what do you think happened in the churches in Galatia? Mass confusion, right? I mean, you got people going, you know what? I don't trust these guys. I know Paul. I trust Paul. I'm sticking with Paul. And you got other people going, Paul misled us. Paul was wrong. If it weren't for these nice people from Jerusalem, my salvation could have been in doubt. No, no, no. Sign me up for circumcision. Give me the recipes to cook kosher. I am going to keep the Sabbath. And by the way, those of you who are still trusting Paul, you're not part of the church. So not just confusion. We're talking about the people in the churches were divided and they were at each other's throat. Paul heard about this. In response, he wrote a letter to the churches in Galatia. And that is the letter that we're going to be reading this series. But I'm just, if you were Paul, how would you react? How would you respond? We're going to get a glimpse of that response. We're going to read the first nine verses of this letter. All right, here it goes. It's a letter. They start with the author, okay? Who, they, who writes and who they're writing to. Paul, an apostle, an emissary, an authorized ambassador, sent not from men, not from like a, a churches, a bunch of, you know, like the church in Jerusalem. No, 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 not like that. Not from men, nor by a man, not like James or anybody like that. No, 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 no. I'm not sent like that. No, I'm sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. How's that for an opening for a letter? Greetings. 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greeting and prayer. Here goes. I am astonished <laughs> that you have so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Wow. So, so what is Paul saying? If we go back to, to verse six, right? Paul, Paul's saying, look, you got people out here. You got some people out there and they're giving you a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And Paul says, man, I am astonished. I am flabbergasted. I am in shock that you what? That you bought it. I can't believe you bought it. Don't you understand how big a deal this is? How important this is? Verse eight, if anybody preaches a gospel different from the one we preach to you, let them be accursed. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, you know, Paul, maybe you shouldn't go around and threaten curses on people. Yeah, well, <laughs> I have to point this out, that this English translation here doesn't actually capture the full force of the Greek, right? So, so in, in English, it's let them be under God's curse. The Greek it's just two words, anathema esto, anathema esto. Esto, it's just a verb, says let him be. Anathema, translated curse, but Paul tells us exactly what anathema means in the, in the letter to Romans. He says to be anathema is to be cut off from Christ. To be anathema is to be cast out of the people of God. It is to be outside the bounds of grace. It is to be subject to eternal damnation. To anathema esto is let them be damned to hell. So I'm going to read that verse again. And I apologize in advance if it sounds like I'm actually um, swearing. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, anathema esto. May God damn those people. Whew. Requiring Gentiles to become Jews in order to follow Jesus? For Paul, that is a betrayal. It is a perversion. It is the very annihilation of the gospel itself. If... if, if if the church makes, goes the wrong way on this, that's it. That's it. The gospel is dead. And so that brings us to the big question. Big question. Why did God, Paul think this was such a big deal? Why was this such a big deal to Paul? Paul writes about this extensively in the letter. But I want to preview three big 
reasons why this was such a big deal. Okay. Number one, it changes the gospel of grace. What is grace? Grace is we get something that we don't deserve. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a a gospel of grace because there's nothing we can do to make God love us more and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. Grace is an inherent characteristic of God. It's who he is. We can't work toward it. We can't try to earn it. Now, if you require Gentiles to become Jews, if you require Gentiles to to get circumcised, to to change how they eat, to, to follow the Sabbath, what are these things? Well, they're requirements. They're conditions. And if we add conditions to the gospel, it doesn't matter what kind of requirements they are, what kind of conditions they are, well, you no longer have a gospel of grace. If we add conditions, we kill grace. And if it's no grace, it is no longer of God. And if it's not of God, it's not a gospel at all. We need to ask that question to ourselves today. I mean, this is a question that we need to ask today. What are we adding? What requirements are we adding to the gospel? Now, now, okay, obviously not those ones, right? (laughs) You know, um, just let me make it clear. Uh, Here at Blackhawk Church, we do not have circumcision requirements for membership. Uh, We don't have a circumcision room down in the basement. And there's no food requirements either. And while we recommend Sabbath, we we think it's optional, uh, but we think it's good for you but we wouldn't require those anyway because we're not Jewish. No, we'd be tempted to require something else. (laughs) That's just the reality. Uh, For the past 2,000 years, there's always been some people in the church who spend their time coming up with new requirements and new conditions. We can't help ourselves. I mean, today you see in social media all the time, right? You can't be a Christian if you blank. You can't be a Christian if you do this or don't do that, or if you vote for so-and-so, don't vote for so-and-so. You can't be a Christian. We, we, we just want to do this. We have to do this, right? Because we so much want to control who is in the kingdom and who is not in the kingdom. We want our tribe to de- determine the shape of the kingdom of God. And in the process, we kill grace and we damage the gospel. This is a big deal for us. This is a big thing for us today. We're going to talk more about this issue in this series. Reason number two. It changes our experience of following Jesus. The the, the first one, the first reason is about how we enter into the kingdom, right? It's about getting rid of grace. It's changing, changing the requirement. Well, here, think about it. If we tell a Gentile person, hey, here's the book of Torah. Here are the rules. Go follow it. What's the experience of following Jesus? Well, it's a book. You read it, and then you do it. And Paul says, that's not the experience of following Jesus. No, not even close. No, the the heart of the experience of following Jesus is this me and Jesus, this personal, intimate relationship where we're surrounded by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, where we have this dynamic experience of a union with Christ. It is freeing, it is joyful, it is alive. (sighs) The heart of the gospel experience of following Jesus, it's a relationship with Jesus. It's alive. It is good. Not a bunch of rules. Some of us today, 
We are in the kingdom. We are saved by grace. But we have a difficult time experiencing this union with Christ. We have a difficult time experiencing this Holy Spirit who is alive, who is powerful, and is empowering. So we're going to talk about this union with Christ, and we're going to talk about how to walk with the Holy Spirit in this series. Reason number three. It changes the mission of the kingdom of God. Paul writes in in the book, hey, you know what? When God called Abraham from the very beginning, he said, I wanted a multicultural, multi-ethnic people of God. If we require that Gentiles have to become Jews to join the church, what would you get? You get a church full of Jews. You get a church full of people who have adopted Jewish ethnic distinctives. And Paul says, no, that's not the heart of God. No, that goes against the entire mission of the church. Because look, think about it. God is using the church to confront ethnic hostility. How can the church do that? If at its basic principle, it adopts the idea of, hey, you want to be one of us? You act like one of us. How can the church confront tribalism if it is tribalistic in its very basic belief and practice. (laughs) No. Some of you might be thinking, wow, (laughs) maybe this book has a lot to say to churches in America today. We're going to talk about that in this series. So let me summarize. Why is this a big deal? Paul says, if you require Gentiles to become Jews in order to follow Jesus, it will change the requirements for coming in. It will change the gospel so that it is no longer of grace. It will change the experience of following Jesus so that it goes from union with Christ into following a bunch of rules in a book. And finally, it will destroy the mission of the kingdom. Because if the church adopts a, you want to be one of us, you got to act like us, one, a kind of tribal attitude, then the church becomes useless because it cannot be a beacon of light amidst the darkness of human tribalism. If the Jewish Christians get their way, the gospel is dead. Game over. So what happened? What happened? Well, we're not really sure. But here's what we do know. The Galatian people, they didn't take Paul's letter and throw it in the trash. And how do we know that? Well, because we have it. You have it in front of you. You're reading a translation of it. What we do know is that that letter, along with other Paul's letters, they got collected into a, into a kind of this corpus, and they got passed around. And, and every church wanted to get their hands on it, and they would make copies of their own. And they would all sit there, and they read, and they study these, these letters, and they were reading it like Scripture. They were reading it like the Word of God, because that's exactly what they were. God was speaking through Paul. The church recognized it, and the church obeyed. And this letter, (laughs) it turned the tide. It changed world history. It's a letter that saved the church. Today, I have a a simple job. My my job is to get you to read Galatians. And I want to be upfront with you. This is kind of a good news, bad news kind of a thing. Uh, The good news, it's like, 
20 minutes to read out loud, which means you can, you can read it every single day, okay? Every single day, you can read it, okay? That's the good news, it's short. Bad news, it's kind of hard to read. <laughs> Just want to be up front. Um, it's a letter, and, and Paul's addressing problems and questions. And we don't have those problems and questions in front of us. And, and furthermore, okay, now, having just heard the story, you, it's going to be easier for you to read the letter. But still, Paul's going to, you know, make references to all kinds of Old Testament passages. And if you don't know those passages, it's going to be hard. But I'm going to end on the good news. You don't have to do this alone. Okay. We have resources. Go to our website. Go to the Galatians um, resource page. Ignore this picture. And... Uh, check out things you can download. For example, we gave you a manuscript of Galatians. You can download it, and it's the text of Galatians in double space. And what it allows you to do is it allows you to, to write down questions, make circles and color code, do whatever you want, try to figure out what's going on. And we also gave you an, an attachment that tells you how to do manuscript Bible studies. Right? How do you go ahead and, and try to figure this out? But don't do this by yourself. Do it with people in your life group. Do it with people in your bubble. Do it with your family and friends. Read Galatians together. We also have resources. We have recommended books and commentaries. We have a podcast that's weekly. And then, of course, bring your questions, bring your comments to the webinar on Monday nights. You're not doing this alone. It's a 20-minute read, a short letter. But... It has been one of the most consequential documents ever written. It changed world history. It launched Christianity from a Jewish sect into a worldwide movement. It has rightly been called the Magna Carta of Christian freedom. In passionate language, it tells us what the gospel is and what it is not. It describes for us what it means to follow Jesus it confronts our innate tribalism. And it tells us who we are at the most foundational level. You have to read this book. Reading this book, learning this book, understanding this book, and applying this book will revolutionize your life as a Christ follower. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for Paul. I want to thank you for all the church leaders, even the ones we feel like, well, maybe they're wrong in retrospect. We praise you for them, the way you use them in the life of the church and the way that you use them to glorify and further your kingdom. We gave you praise and thanks for them. And we give you praise and thanks for the struggle to preserve the true gospel for us today. And that we're confronted with the same kind of danger, the same kind of threats in our world. So Father, help us this time to read together, to learn together. Because we don't want a people who destroy grace. We don't want a people, people who distort the gospel. We want to be people to stay true to what you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.